Don't get up. I've got it. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, I was at a trampoline park this week, and uh, the Lord spoke to me. He said, you're 43 years old. I think he's been trying to tell me that before, but uh, he said it very clearly this time. Uh, I was running up, for those of you who haven't heard this yet, I was running up a, uh, one of these ramp things that you see on ninja shows, and uh, actually Olivia had challenged me to do it, so it's more her fault than mine. And uh, I hit it as hard as I could, and I felt a snap in my calf muscle, so uh, that's why I am wearing this boot and using those crutches. Yeah. Um, let me open us in prayer. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for the gift of being your children and for the gift of receiving your word. And we pray that even right now, Lord, all the things that would crowd you out can be removed and that your spirit can come into our hearts and minds and speak to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, the body's healing capacity is, is amazing. And uh, when you injure something, you get to watch how the body will heal itself. And at least with a, an injury like the one I have, uh, and uh, of course, uh, Wayne and Lorinda's son, Dan, has been helping me out. And uh, I've read online things. Olivia's read things online. And at least one of the first things you do is rest. That's what they say. You don't, you don't initially train. You start out by resting. And then the body starts healing. And one of the things I've been saying to you in this series of talks is that uh, growing in Christ, part of what we're doing in this journey is we're learning to rest. And what, part of what I'm doing right now in my journey as a Christian is learning to rest in Jesus and that salvation is found in resting. It's not that we never do anything, but if we, if we start training before we've learned to rest, we may risk doing further damage to ourselves. And so we learn to recognize the love of God and to receive the love of God, and then the training, the activity that comes from that comes from a safe and sound place, a steady foundation on which we can build. That's what we've been talking about, at least somewhat, in our, in our series of sermons. If you haven't been with us uh, over the past month and a half or so, you can go back and, and look at these things online, go on YouTube and, and, and catch up. You may find some benefit in some of the ways the Lord has uh, put together the things we've been talking about. I started out, maybe it was early July, talking about the emphasis on the main thing, uh, on, on the treasure that's related to knowing Christ in 2 Corinthians chapters uh, 2, 3, 4, in that range. And then from there, we talked about the, this, the deep importance of knowing the love of God and uh, uh, really grasping that his love is beyond what we can fathom and knowing that as a foundation for our spiritual growth. And after that, Josh spoke. You can feel free to skip that one. Go on to the next one. And uh, uh, we talked uh, further about uh, uh, union with Christ, being united with Christ and letting his life become our life. I'm going to say a little bit more about that. And today, we're taking another step forward to talk about what it means to be transformed by faith. Terry talked about a, a couple of weeks, really not in, not in conversation with me. We just both ended up uh, 
wanting to emphasize some things about faith right now. And so, so I'm continuing on with, with uh, where we've been the past couple of weeks, but talking about faith in a, in a very specific way about how it's related to our, our growth and our, our transformation. So let me just pick up with where we left off last time, talking about being united with Christ. Um, remember, we talked about how the New Testament is filled with this idea of somehow we're connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's not just pretty language, but it's, it's reality. So look at, we'll just look at a, a few of these scriptures again. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can I get you to say that with me? That line right there? All right. I'll warm you up. Take just a second. All right. You ready? We'll start with it. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Isn't that an amazing thought? That somehow our life has been exchanged. And we have a different life, a new life that has come to us in Christ. And the life we now live, the life that Paul says he now lives in the flesh. He said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this life now is lived with Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus. This is not just pretty metaphors. This is not Paul saying, uh, well, I've got a new idea here, and this is the way you can help yourself out. Think of it as if, you know, you were crucified with Jesus. You know, that, that's a way we can illustrate this. This is not what Paul's doing. Paul's talking about coming into contact with life from above, spiritual life from above, and then letting that take over him, a, a profound identification with Jesus Christ, drawing his life and his nourishment from Jesus Christ himself. This is what he's talking about. This is not positive thinking. It's not encouragement to try harder. It's a statement about spiritual realities, a spiritual energy, if you want to think of it like that, that is imparted to believers who, who come to Christ. And you may say, well, that sounds weird to me. Guess what? Reality is weird. <laughs> We're either in a world where everything's just physical stuff, which doesn't make any sense. Or we're in a world where things are beyond our comprehension. And if you think it's strange to think of spiritual realities interacting with you, well, you, you need to start with yourself because you are a spiritual being. You have a, a spiritual energy in you already. That's what it means to be human. That's why you can choose what you think about. Your brain doesn't control that. You're not just randomly firing stuff in your brain. You can actually choose because you have a spirit, a will that can make decisions. There's a, mys a mysterious nature to the human being. And there's nothing, nothing too great. Once you get, get the idea that there is a God who created these mysterious creatures, then you go from there and say, okay, he wants to interact with me. Yeah, I don't have to understand all that. <laughs> but the scriptures teach that there is spiritual reality touching upon us. And we live forth from that reality. Look, we, last week we talked about Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order, that, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that spiritual power, that kind of power, comes to us so that we too might walk in newness of life. 
Not so that we can try a little bit harder. Not so that we can read some self-help books and do a little bit better. But so that the resurrection power of Jesus can come to us and make us new. That's what we're in for. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so then we went on down in that chapter and talked about how Paul wants us to think of ourselves this way. To consciously and intentionally embrace this. Remember, we said, we're not talking about believing something false. We're talking about getting in touch with what is really true. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We must come to know the truth about ourselves that in a real spiritual sense we have died to sin and risen with Christ. I want to read to you what Walter Marshall, he's one of the ones that's been influencing me. I've been drawing on him through this series of sermons. Here's what he says and ideas related to this. Doubtless the knowledge and persuasion of the glory and excellency of our new state in Christ. This is that new nature, this new state in Christ. If we had a knowledge of that, it would more elevate the hearts of believers above all sordid slavery to their lust and enlarge them to run cheerfully in the way of God's commandments. Joyfully in the way of God's commandments. If Christians knew their own strength better, they would enterprise greater things for the glory of God. And what I'm saying to you today is I want you to know your own strength. You have died with Christ. You have risen with Christ. New possibilities are available to you. You don't have to be a slave to sin. Now this gets worked out over time. It's not like an instantaneous perfection or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about real life, real new possibilities, real change. And not just cleaning ourselves up on the outside a little bit, dusting ourselves off and remaining the same. We're talking about growth because of life that's in us. And you say, well, what, what, what's the deal then? If that's happened to me, why haven't I changed? That's what we want to talk about. Because maybe there are various ways you could go wrong. Maybe nobody ever told you to believe in your own strength. And if you never heard that and you heard what's been called miserable sinner Christianity, you may have heard that's just the way it's supposed to be. i got to get by until I can get to heaven. If that's what you think, then you've probably given up. Maybe nobody's ever told you how to nourish the life, the seed of life that is planted in us to grow and expand throughout our lives. Maybe nobody ever told you you can nourish that and that it can really grow. Whatever the case is, we can't just start dismissing what is all over the place in the New Testament about a real life that comes to believers, a real spiritual life. Look at the one more passage here related to these ideas. This is just astounding. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. This is all he's done for us. These wonderful promises that he's given to us so that through them you may become partakers, you listen to this, partakers of the divine nature. What's the divine nature? 
That's the, the true and living God. God's nature, we become partakers of it, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. That's what we're in for in Christianity. God makes us his children. In doing so, he imparts to us his nature, and we live forth from that. And if you follow on down in 2 Peter, he goes on right in this very context to say, to say uh, I may mis misquote it, it may not be exactly right, but it, you know, he, he says to, then we should make every effort to make our calling and election sure, add to your faith, virtue, and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, godliness, all those things. But, but notice that it starts with faith. You add to your faith. The assumption is faith is in place. Faith is a starting point. And you build out from that all the Christian virtues. And so if we talk about being grounded in things, we want to be grounded in faith. What is faith? We don't talk about faith enough. Maybe because in certain contexts it's become something trivial. We've made it uh, mean things that it doesn't really mean. We've made it something like sign up for doctrinal beliefs, put your name on the dotted line. We've made it something that's so opposed to works and separated from works. It's like if people talk about faith, then it's, uh, it's like something you, you need to separate from life. And they're afraid if you, if you make it something more than that, you're entering into kind of a merit situation where you're working to earn things. Whatever the case is, sometimes we put it at the beginning of the way I grew up, we put it at the beginning of a formula to getting saved. And it's like this step you take. Oh, you got to believe, okay, got that done, then go on to the next thing. That's not what faith is in the Bible. And if you've embraced something like that, I urge you to rethink faith this morning. Faith is integral to life with God. We are made to believe, not so God can give us a test and say, did you believe all that? Can you pass that test on the doctrines? We're made to believe because we're made for relationship with God. And our faith is a channel that relationship with God, it is trusting Him, relying on Him. You know that we don't get started in the Christian faith, the Christian faith, without faith? I mean, imagine somebody coming to, coming to Christ, say, oh yeah, I've come to Christ, and, and then say, yeah, but I don't really believe any of that stuff. But you haven't come to Christ, right? That would be a, a contradictory statement. You haven't come to Christ if you don't believe any of that stuff. Coming to Christ means believing it, embracing it. You're not just an ethnic Christian. You're not just a cultural Christian, at least not according to the Bible. You're a Christian because you embrace things by faith, particularly you embrace the risen Lord by faith, and you have a relationship with God through him. But let me be eager to add that you cannot continue on. We all understand that you have to come to Christ with faith. You can't continue on in the faith without trusting Christ. You can't continue in your growth without trusting Christ. Faith is the current of life that keeps us moving down that river with Christ. It is the essence of a relationship, and we're made for a relationship. Faith is not great, you see, because... because uh, Faith in itself is a virtue. That's the way we hear it sometimes uh, in our world. You, just, you, you hear people talk, oh, you got to have faith. Just, I, I think we used to say that in my high school football team. you got to believe. Right? And it's about believing in yourselves. Right? I remember one time the coach asked, we were playing a team that was clearly better than we are. We were. 
and I was a freshman or something. And, and uh, the coach said, uh, trying to pump us up to believe we were going to beat West Washita, said, if you don't believe that we're going to beat West Washita, you don't have to run right now. We're all running these sprints. And uh, so we all were up there running these sprints. And I remember, I've thought about that because I didn't believe we were going to beat West Washita. <laughs> But I knew the social pressure that I could not just step off and say, uh, yeah, I don't believe we're going to beat West Washington. You know, we're getting pumped up to try to believe things, to believe in ourselves in, in, in some way. And, and honestly, that gives faith a bad rap. It's like you're supposed to, uh, people talk about faith as if it's what you do without any evidence. It's what you do when you don't really believe, <laughs> right? It's what you do when, when you've got a lot of reasons not to believe. Well, then you grab onto faith. No, that's not what faith is. Faith is living in reality. And faith is made great because of the person to whom it relates. The person it relates us to. And it's great because of his greatness. It involves trusting a person. So just to be very, very simple with this. If you're going to live a Christian life, you have to trust Jesus. And in trusting him, that will lead you into a loyalty to him. And really all of this is included within the meaning of faith. It can have shades of meaning in different places in the New Testament. But it's sometimes translated faithfulness because faith, trust God, trust Jesus. And as you trust him, as you think he knows what he's talking about, you are loyal to him. You think he knows what he's saying, what he's, he, he makes sense of life, and you seek to be obedient to him. But we cannot leave out that, that central dimension of we're really always trusting and relating to a person. Are you with me here? Trusting and relating to a person. This is central to the Christian life. Now, as we talk about this, let's turn to Romans chapter 9. The scripture we read, I'm not going to spend a long time on this passage, but I want to see uh, what we can glean from this passage as it relates to what we're saying. Now, Paul in, chap in, in Romans is talking about the Jews and Gentiles being united in God's grand scheme of salvation, how, how he, he is brought together now. The Gentiles, the nations, the Jews, the chosen people, they're brought together now in Christ. And the walls are coming down. And, and, and the great uh, challenge for the Jewish people is that it seems like the Jews have not believed in their Messiah. They have rejected their Messiah largely. And the nations, the Gentiles, they are coming in and embracing their Messiah. What do you do with that? The chosen people's not in, but the other people are in. And Paul traces it back to something that comes before the law, something that God has always wanted. And this is what makes sense of what's happening. God has always wanted faith. He has always wanted people to trust him. That's where Abraham, in Romans chapter 4, Paul presents Abraham as the model of faith before the law, the law came. Before the law set aside the distinctiveness of the Jewish people through circumcision, Sabbath keeping, and those kind of things. Before that, there was a relationship of trust that God established with a pagan guy named Abraham who gave up his paganism and trusted God, trusted the true and living God. Right? And now, you see, Christ had opened the way where the Gentiles were coming in in large numbers and seeing that God, grabbing hold of that God through faith. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, 
who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's Jesus, the stumbling stone. They stumbled over Christ. What I want you to notice here, and Paul pre, uh, brings up a, a kind of a racing imagery here. People are running, and the ones who are running really hard, they don't, they don't arrive at the goal. They're looking for righteousness by the law. They don't get there. Why? That, that's what they were going, going for, because they didn't pursue it by faith. But the Gentiles now, with Christ coming, their hearts are being opened, and they're coming to trust. They weren't even looking for it. They weren't pursuing this law of righteousness. But they're, they're coming to receive it because their hearts are being opened to believe and to trust, to put their confidence in the God of Israel. And so they're coming in. Let me just pause here and ask you, do you remember what, what was it Abraham had to trust God for? Abraham's presented as the paradigm of faith in Romans chapter 4. What do you have to trust God for? You give him a son. You give him a male heir. That's right. And you know what? Through, through him, through him, Abraham was going to become one whose seeds were as, uh, his descendants were as many as the stars of heaven. Right? So what ultimately, what ultimately Abraham had to trust God for? God was going to be really, really good to him. You know that? Abraham had to believe when he was confronted with God out in his pagan land, he had to believe that this God wanted to bless him. He didn't have any good reason for it. He just wanted to bless him. And he planned to bless him. Not on Abraham's timetable. Read the story of Genesis. Right? It was going to take some time. The journey began, though, when Abraham embraced by faith that God wanted to bless him. And God counted that as righteousness. You see, we're called into a relationship to trust God. You cannot trust someone if you don't think they're good. Not with your whole life. I mean, you might trust somebody to fix your car. Maybe not even that, actually. <laughs> you wonder if you're being taken advantage of. See, what we're called to do as Christians is, is to look into the face of Christ until we become utterly convinced of the incredible goodness of God and of His kind intentions for us now and forever. And we embrace that. And that's the beginning of our stepping into righteousness. That's the beginning of transformation. God wants to bless us in ways that will surprise us, in ways we have not seen yet. God wants to bless us. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. In the next life, yes. In this life, I believe God wants to bless us in all kinds of ways now, too. I'm not talking about health and wealth stuff, okay? Don't get me wrong. I really don't like that stuff. <laughs> but I believe God wants to bless people. And he does it. And we're called to believe in a good God. 
who has good intentions for us. And as we get older and we look back on our lives, we see how he has been good. And we become more and more confident that he's going to be good. Here's what I want you to notice, okay? That, that's a call to faith right there. What I want you to notice in this passage is these Jewish people were pursuing it. They were pursuing it in the wrong way. They were pursuing it apart from a genuine trust in God, a genuine reliance on him. In some way, the relational core, which is faith, was breaking. I'm not saying they had none of it. I don't think Paul would have said that. But in some way, the way they went after it by works— was putting something between them and that relationship with God. And Christ came in and said, trust me, trust God through me. And they couldn't see it because they needed to cling to this thing they had that was between them. Let me show you the rest of this passage. Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They're passionate for God, but not according to knowledge. They're doing a lot of stuff. They're trying. But they've gone on it the wrong way. They've gotten off on the, the wrong foot, going the wrong direction. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. See, that relationship with God was broken. They wanted something on their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end, and that could be translated goal. He's both the end and the goal. It's where everything was leading. He's the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ will get you where the law wants you to go. This relationship with God through Christ, that's what the law always wanted. People who could know God, people who could trust God, people who could love God, people who could receive the love of God. Christ takes you to that place. And through him, through the power that's unleashed by his death and resurrection in the world, people's hearts are being lifted up to know this God to live with him, to be loved by him. See, the Jewish people at the time when Paul was preaching, they weren't ready for this message. They weren't ready to throw themselves on the mercy of God and say, I just want to rely on you. I just want to depend on you. I want to empty my hands and just receive What I want us all to think about now as we start to wrap things up, um, I want us to realize that it's possible for us as Christians, maybe we get started with this relationship of trust and dependency in Christ, dependency on Christ, but it's possible for us as Christians to be zealous for God and to still be missing it. It's possible for us to be trying hard and to still be missing it. It's possible for us to be going forward in the things we're trying to do and trying to accomplish as Christians detached from Christ, not leaning on Christ, not genuinely trusting Him and trusting God through Him. You can be zealous for God and miss out on what God is doing. That's what the Jews did. God came to them. And in one sense, they were zealous for God, but they were zealous in a way that, that broke the faith relationship and they couldn't see God when he came to them. 
We can be zealous for God as Christians and still miss out on what God is doing. It's when we come to him all empty and say, everything depends on you. I'm throwing myself on your mercy. I trust you with me. Then we can receive. And we can be in on what God is doing. The life of faith that we're living going forward, as we come to Christ, we've received his salvation. It must be more than good principles, motivating good resolutions. You understand? It has to be a relationship with God. We cannot say, oh yeah, Jesus came and he saved, he forgave our sins and then he told us these things to do. So now I'm going to go do these things. Oh, and I should be grateful. Let me tell you something, gratitude's not enough. Gratitude's good. We should be grateful. But that's not enough. Um, the Christian life is the best life. Yes, it is. And that's great. We should know that. That's not enough. God is the judge of all the earth. Yes, he is. And that should wake us up. But that's not enough. What, what is enough, the only thing that's enough, is a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Knowing God and living life with him. That's enough. And it's in our own emptiness that we come to that relationship. The one who fills all the earth and says, I'll fill you too. But you can only get it when you let go of yourself. And all your stuff and all the tricks you want to use. And say, I will be still and know that you are God. I will drop my weapons that I am using to fight and I will just receive now, I'm not saying that we don't do anything, okay? I've said this earlier in this series of sermons. But the way we do things looks different when we come at it from that place. When we come to this place of genuine trust in the Lord. These principles that we're talking about, gratitude, recognition of who God is, recognition of the goodness of the Christian life, all of that, they drive us to Christ and teach us to lean on him. And so we despair of trusting in our own efforts. We despair of trusting in our own resolutions. They let us down. They let me down. Oh, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for Jesus because he, he uh, has been so good. That's a good thing, right? But if we go out doing it on our own, we sever that relationship. And we're no longer leaning on him. We're leaning on ourselves. And the end will be failure. I'm not saying we won't make any progress. It might, you might make some, some good strides. We do make some good strides with that kind of thing. It's better than not trying, for sure. But if we want to enter into supernatural life, we've got to get in the right relationship with the one who gives it. It's so easy. And for somebody like me who's a perfectionist, you know, some of you may not struggle nearly as much as I do with some of these, but for somebody like me as, as a perfectionist, it's so easy to slide over into self-reliance. I, I, one of my struggles with, with my, I talked to you about my OCD issues, that I, I, will, I will worry about myself that maybe I'm self-deceived. I'll think maybe I'm not seeing what I need to repent of. Maybe I'm not uh, working hard enough to clear myself of things. And one of the things the Lord has, has shown me more recently is just that um, self-reliance can be just as bad of a thing as self-deception. 
and um, maybe for me it's the worst thing. Well, what I need is dependence on the Lord. And to stop thinking, I've got to figure myself out and make everything okay. God has began a good work in us. God undertakes to bring it to completion. He cares immensely about our spiritual lives, about our regular lives, which are spiritual lives. God is the one who will carry us through in this work. We have to be aware of having begun in the spirit, of then suddenly sliding over and starting to continue in the flesh. Salvation begins with trusting Jesus, and it continues with trusting Jesus. We trust him for everything, day by day. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it's almost like an, it's an irreducible complexity. I mean, that's at the bottom. We just stop and say, I trust you. And then there's some actions that go along with that, yes. But we, we just say, I'm going to lean back. And if you want to use an illustration, maybe it's leaning. The song, leaning on Jesus. I'm learning to lean, right? That, that's part of the whole Christian life, learning to lean on Jesus. We just do it. Let me, let me let you see what Andrew Murray says about this. Some are very zealous for a free gospel with our first acceptance of Christ. But after this, they think everything depends on our diligence and faithfulness. While they firmly grasp the truth, the sinner shall be justified by faith, they have hardly found a place in their scheme for the larger truth. The just shall live by faith. It is only as the believer daily comes all empty and helpless to his Savior to receive of his life and strength that he can bring forth the fruits of righteousness to the glory of God. We don't turn to ourselves, to our own diligence and our own faithfulness just because now we've come to Christ in faith and now it's up to us in our works. Daily we come to Christ in our emptiness, and our helplessness. And we say, you have the life and the strength. Would you bring that forth in me? So let me see if I can illustrate this practically for you, and we're going to close. Um, We're talking about really, really trusting him, right? So imagine that we're, uh, you're in a boat, and you're being carried along by a current that's going towards a, a waterfall, a deadly waterfall, right? And this is the world. You know, we're, we're being carried towards it. And some people are there, and they're like floating down as if there's no problem. Like they're on a canoe trip, you know, just kind of hanging out and relaxing. And you want to say to them, hey, there's a waterfall down there, right? They don't care. They don't think there's anything coming. Those are people who need to wake up, right? They're just going to go, and they're going to go over the waterfall, right? Then there are others who know there's a waterfall up there, and they're in the boat, and they're paddling like crazy, trying to get turned around, trying to get to the shore, but they can't. They just keep paddling harder and harder and harder. And that's like those who are pursuing righteousness by works have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge you know there's there's something that needs to be done and you're trying to do it but you're trying to do it with your own strength then imagine that you're in a boat like that and you know there's a deadly waterfall up there but a huge ship 
that's powerful and not in danger pulls up next to you and says, hey, here's, here's a rope, just attach it to your boat, and I'll take you back the other way. And then you take that rope and you attach it, and that ship just starts taking you the other way. Now, what's, what's going to be your main obligation when you're in that situation? What's going to need to be your main focus? It's just going to be to stay in that boat, right? Stay attached to the other boat. Make sure that line's secure. That's the people who are trusting Christ. We get in the boat, we say, thank you. You're the Savior. We could have never done it with all our paddling. Now we're going to stay attached to you. We're going to stay focused on you. But the danger is, you see, as, as Christians, we just want to start the paddling again. <laughs> we, we, maybe we lose sight of the boat. It goes too far ahead or something. We're like, oh, no, I've got to start the paddling. And, and, and then we start to exhaust ourselves and, and to hurt ourselves and to hurt the journey. Now, this is a, a rough illustration. It's going to break down at some point, and, and I'm not trying to make it explain everything. But I'm, I'm just trying to give you a, an idea of how it looks to trust the Lord rather than fight and struggle and strain, to really trust Him and to find real life in that. And then we act, okay? We still act. We act from a different place. So I want to say to you right now, trust Jesus. Put all your confidence in Him because of His great love for you. If you're struggling with sin, trust Jesus. He will get you through it. If you're struggling with sadness, trust Jesus. That relationship with him will secure you through it. If you're wondering about the future, trust Jesus. He will take you through the future. Don't let that relationship be severed. I'm not suggesting that we don't make efforts but our first effort is to accept our beloved identity, to rest in that, to trust in Jesus. And then we begin arranging our lives for fellowship with God. And I said something about this last time, um, but let me just strongly encourage you. That, that relationship has to be nurtured. Take time alone with God. Plan for some time, extended time alone with God. In your marriages, help each other out with this. Plan so that the other person can get away for a morning or a day or an afternoon and be alone with God. That's the kind of effort we make, not to directly go out and say, oh, I can conquer it now, I've, I've decided. No, we know we need to draw resources from the life of Christ. And that life has to be nurtured in fellowship with God. I asked uh, my old friend, Miss Ruby, I've told you about her, I told some of you about this a while back. Uh, uh, in the anger class, but I asked her one time, what's the secret, Miss Ruby, to living without anger? And she just immediately responded, Miss Ruby, for those of you who haven't heard me talk about her, she's just a saintly presence in my life and a wonderful, wonderful woman of God. And I said, what's the secret of living without anger? And without hesitation, she said, you know, I'd have to say, being close to God. <laughs> and then she said, oh, but you know, I don't, I don't really have a struggle with anger. I have a lot of other struggles, but I don't have that one. But see, she just knew, this, this old lady who had lived with the Lord for so long, she knew that she didn't go out to just conquer anger by deciding to. She knew, you didn't have to be educated to learn this, 
She just knew in fellowship with God, she could live without anger. It's in fellowship with God that we learn to live transformed lives. Let me, let me close out by sharing with you uh, this quote from Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence writes the practice of the presence of God, and, and he is always talking about people just living in fellowship with God. Here's what he says. Being always in God's presence causes the will to rejoice at being set apart from the world, setting it aglow with the fire of holy love. This is because the soul is always with God, who is a consuming fire, who reduces to powder whatever is opposed to him. The soul thus inflamed can no longer live except in the presence of its God. This presence produces a holy ardor, a sacred urgency, and a violent desire in the heart to see this God who is loved. That's not quite as uh, compelling as I thought when I, put, when I was reading it myself. <laughs> I'm reading it to y'all. I hope you can understand what, what he's saying. Uh, Brother Lawrence was a man who just lived in the presence of God. And what I, what I want to say to you from, from that quote is that, do you think Brother Lawrence had a, a hard time dealing with sin in his life? No, he didn't. But it was because he knew how to fellowship with God. And it's in the presence of God that this, this urgency, this great desire came into his heart to see this God who is loved. And being always with God, he was able to see things fall off around him. The temptations and trials would not overcome him as he was with God. That's what we want. We want in faith to bind ourselves to Christ so that we can be with him so we can love him, so we can receive the love that he has for us and then live out from that place into his love. Into full, great, beautiful transformation that the scriptures hold out for us. Praise team, would you guys come on up? Let me close this in prayer. Lord God, please teach us to trust you, to lean all our weight on you, and to find that you are sufficient to meet every single need. Would you lead us into a bright and beautiful future and let us trust that you are the God who blesses people. Will you bless us all, Lord, with your presence now. In Jesus' name, amen.